Hey everyone, and welcome to Between the Creations. My name is Laurian Hook, and each week on the podcast, I and my guest discuss various aspects of theology, Christianity, and the Bible. I'm so glad you've decided to join us. Let's get started. Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of Between the Creations. I'm really excited this week. We, we've had we've done a singer-songwriter in the past, but um, it's been a while, and so I'm really excited to have this week's guest. Uh, Andy Squires is with me, and he is a gifted singer-songwriter. He is has a new album out called Poet Priest, uh, and I'm, I'm going to read the little description from, from your website because it's great. Uh, and it says, it's the continuing exploration of God, love, faith, and redemption in the aftermath of loss. And it's very reminiscent of some Leonard Cohen and Bob Dylan. Uh, and it says that this album is simultaneously disrupting and relieving, uh, which I think is actually a really good way of describing it. So Andy, welcome. I'm really glad to have you. Do you have anything that you want the listeners to know about you before we before we get started? That That description that you read, I actually... Uh, forgot about that description. So I think I would want people to know that I'm a huge Leonard Cohen fan and I'm a huge, (laughs) I'm a huge Bob Dylan fan. So that's a little fun trivia for folks. That's great. And I think, honestly, I think that those influences do come out in your, in your songwriting and in in the music for sure. So you guys go check out the album, first of all, and listen, listen for some of that. I think you'd definitely pick up on it. Um, but yeah, so in that description, it, it says that uh, t- this album talks about God, love, faith, and redemption in the aftermath of loss. Um, could you unpack that a little bit? Because I think that it comes out in the lyrics, um, but if people haven't heard the album, what could maybe they expect to experience if they, if they delve into this record? Yeah, um, well, first of all, an, an, another, another strange thing about me is that I, I write really sad and difficult music, but I'm a really happy person. (laughs) So I, I am, I'm often met by people and they, they, they're a little bit shocked when they, you know, uh, they find out that I'm kind of a jovial guy, but, um, but I think the, the music that I've written, especially over the last two album cycles has been in response to just, uh, well, just some real, hard harder than normal events that occurred in my life and uh i think it's a normal human experience that that isn't often talked about among christians where uh when when something happens that your belief system can't quite contain um and and uh and so this record poet priest is really uh i i actually describe it as a worship album it's not it's not worship in the sense of the way we commonly know praise and worship you know um it, it's not like uh filled with chris tomlin styled songs you know there's there's lots of themes of of death and um, not just death, but like other versions of difficulty and hardship that happen in everyday life. But I, I describe it as a worship album because it's, it's really a kind of like an Ebenezer. It's like a marker of, 
of God's faithfulness in my life, even when it just feels like I've, I'm being crushed, you know? And so it's actually, I, you know, I, I, here's something that I hear a lot from people. I I just heard this from a fan maybe last week where they said, (laughs) in all honesty, Andy, when I first heard your music, I didn't like it. And it, I, and honestly, I was offended by it. And she said, but, but then something happened in my life that I had no explanations for. And your music suddenly made sense to me. Wow. I was actually going to ask you, so I was going to ask you something along those lines because your songs come from a place. Um, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's noticeable that things yeah. have happened in your life that you're trying to ration rationally approach that you can't rationally approach anymore and mm-hmm. and how we've constructed our ideas of god and of any type of spiritual development and maturity mm-hmm. and growth and the divine and all of those things have been tossed out the window it seems um and some of these songs mm-hmm. seem to be your exploration of renewal and of kind of trying to put pieces back together that may no longer even fit so it's interesting to me that your fans said that because i that makes a whole lot of sense to me. Did mm-hmm. and it ta- it's almost like it's one of those things to me that it takes some suffering, right? It takes some mm-hmm. hardship to have certain types of things ring true, um, or to even be able to yeah. write certain things. Like I don't, I, you, I, I would be interested to ask you this: Could you have written some of these songs, you know, ten, twelve, fifteen years ago? Or maybe some of them started that long ago. I don't know, but <laughs> yeah, you as a person and your perception of God. How has that changed and how has that produced where you're at now with this record? Yeah, that's a really good question, actually. And and I and this isn't true for all artists, but but I think generally speaking, this is true, where um you you write what you know. So when you're 20 years old, like a typical 20-year-old writing a typical pop song, what are the things that a 20-year-old can write about? You know. Uh, falling in love, uh, brokenheartedness from maybe some failed attempts at love, you know. Uh, <clears throat> but but I couldn't have written these songs when I was 20 years old just for the sake of not having lived enough life to ex- have experienced some of the things. I think, I mean, it's not always true that people are going to suffer but it is true that lots of people do suffer. Like the longer you live, the more chances you have to experience some kind of chaos, disorder, or tragedy of one kind or another. Um, and so the it's it's like there's two parallels running through my life. There's there's the actual experiences that I've lived, and then it's been connected with my development as an artist you know, getting better as a writer, getting better as an artist. And then at some point there was like a, like a divine convergence where, uh, you know, as a Christian and being a part of Christian subculture, a lot of what is forced on you as an artist is we have, well, just as like in any culture, we have these templates of appropriate um, ways of talking about God. And, and to me, the job of an artist isn't to keep reproducing 
work within those same templates. It's to go past those existing templates. And it's true that you will leave some people behind when you do that because not everybody is at that same place. So you kind of have to settle in your mind like, I'm not going to reach everybody with what I'm saying. I get that. You just kind of have to, you know, deal with that. Just let the chips fall where they may. But what ends up happening is, is if you're faithful, if you're faithful with your work, and if you're faithful to the story that you're carrying, that will actually resonate further and to, at, to greater distances um, because there's like a, there's a resident authenticity in work like that, that, you know, I really do work from this idea that people are not stupid. Like I, I believe that, that most people um, have these instincts. They may not even be able to articulate it. It's like, if you listen to the best comedians in the world, comedians are some of the smartest people on the planet, but everybody is laughing at their joke. You know, it's like, there's something about humanity and the intelligence factor that's in us all that I think that when an artist decides to like go past the norm, that's actually bringing a whole lot of people into these greater uh, ways of thinking. And I think that God is worthy of an expanded vocabulary. Mm. I think I think God is worthy of an expanded aesthetic, especially within Christian subculture. I Amen. say this all the, I say this all the time now. It's like it's not that we want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. It's not that we throw out what we've done so far. It's that we want to expand the horizons. And we want to make more words allowable. We want to make more concepts allowable. Christ is the center. He's always he, like I I'm like, I feel that the, like, the reason why we're, as a subculture, experiencing so many people leaving the faith through deconstructionism is because our language has become too narrow for people to be able to deal with their lives. Am I making sense oh, at all? I'm shaking. <laughs> Listeners, you can't see the video, but I'm just nodding along, uh, just amening every five seconds here. Absolutely. Everything you just said makes complete sense. And I, I think you're so right. We need we need artists to push us, right? We need the poets. Yeah. We need we need the singer-songwriters. We need the, the, the painters and the dancers. We need those people to give us a new vocabulary. And what you, I think you called it an expanded vocabulary for yeah. how we talk about God, for how yeah. we talk about ourselves in relationship to God, for how we talk right. about what it means to be human. Mm -hmm. And also side note, listeners, I'm sorry if you can hear, my dog is just throwing a fit in the background. Um, so if you, if that bleeds through for your listeners, you're welcome for that. Um, but we need this expanded vocabulary because because here's what ha what happens and you've we've kind of hinted at this at some point more than likely it's it's going to happen that you're going to encounter an event in your life either it's going to happen to you or you're going to witness something happen in the life of a close family member or friend that you yeah. cannot fit into your paradigm about how God and the world and you work together and so right. either we end up just kind of gritting our teeth and and pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps, which is not super healthy. And we just kind of yeah. push through it and we're like, I'm just going to hold on to these, you know, 
four things about God that I really believe to be true and not mm-hmm. wrestle with it and not let myself be changed by it. Or the other side of that coin is we abandon the faith. Um, we, yeah. we deconstruct to the point of never coming back rather mm-hmm. than somewhere in the middle of, of letting yeah. go of some of the things that maybe um, don't ring true anymore. Uh, but also holding mm-hmm. fast to, like you said, Christ at the center and progressing through that with an expanded vocabulary. So everything you just said, I think, especially yeah. people um, in in younger generations need to need to hear that. Um, yeah, and I yeah. think that I think that in in you know I I I do identify as an evangelical Christian. And I know that there's a lot of issues with that, right? You know, like there's so there's such a whiplash happening within the greater conversation about what it means to be evangelical. But I feel like uh, I want to introduce people to Jesus because Jesus is so good. So I still feel inclined to identify with that, with with this group, even though in a lot of spaces I would be probably unwelcome just because my my theology isn't necessarily a hundred percent aligned with you know guys like you know and these I, I consider these people brothers in the Lord but like you know John Piper and John MacArthur and some of these other like extreme Calvinist types like I I um I'm sorry I've lost my train of thought I, I was I was heading to this place I think that I have a biblical case to make when it comes to making art the way that I've chosen to do it. And I, I always go back to what Jesus said about um, uh, the, the father is looking for worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. And that word truth, is so powerful to me because I think that within Christendom, no matter the theology at whatever church it is, I think as Americans, we tend to put more value in um, looking good than we do in telling the truth. And Jesus was all about telling the truth, even to the detriment of his own ministry. He was always saying things that were true. And many times those listening to him were scattering. But ultimately it was his truth telling that carved a path for people to come into some, some version of freedom, whatever freedom it was that they needed, you know, healing from sin, healing from sickness, healing from but but a lot of it it seems like what has evolved within american christendom in particular is this insistence on making everything look good all of the time or making our christian lives or our christian worlds appear to be something that they're not and i think that a tr- a, a path to wholeness for individuals and communities of faith is going to be found along the path of truth telling, not the truth telling of somebody else, but truth telling about our own life. So I haven't necessarily opened up my diary and read the gory details of my inner working life in my songs, but there is some of that. 
there, you know, like in poet priest, there's some, there's some stories about alcohol abuse. There's some stories about miscarriages and divorce. And, you know, there's the, some gritty details that a lot of times Christians want to kind of just like keep at the edges and not quite in the middle of our, our Sunday services. And I think a lot of times we're, we're, we, we're mystified as to why non-Christians aren't captivated by what we're doing. I mean, we've got lights, we've got smoke, we've got electric guitars. How come people aren't, you know, amazed by us? And it's like, well, we're not really acting like people anymore. We're, at, we're acting more like Barnum and Bailey Circus, you know? And so. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, yeah, everything you just, I don't need, I'm not even going to summarize what you just said. I'm just going to let that be. I'm sorry. No, I'm taking up all the no, oxygen that's the in point. the room. That's the point. <laughs> I would love now to just kind of talk about some of the specific songs. Um, maybe a yeah. little selfishly, some of my, some of that's my favorites. Great. So, um, yeah. I think that you released, there's a song on the album called dead horse, which I think you released as a single, before yep. the before the album as a whole came out and i just y'all if you're going to go listen to this to this album just get ready get get ready to to hear all these great lyrics um i love the idea that you are honest or you you speak about the reality of things like finding god in the liquor aisle and of divorce mm-hmm. and of miscarriage things that you just you just mentioned a moment mm-hmm. ago um what was i don't i don't you don't I don't want you to have to explain your songwriting process or anything like that, but I like the, the second verse says, here is my secret miscarriage. Here is my public divorce. Let me just stop right there <laughs> because you said it a little bit ago, but I'd like to come back to this idea that the church does not do a good job at, of talking about these things. We don't, mm-hmm. we're not honest about can, can, can God show up in a miscarriage? Can, can God be present mm-hmm. in the midst of my really painful divorce that I'm embarrassed to talk about because the church thinks I'm now the black sheep or wear a scarlet letter or something. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Can you talk about that a little bit more and just kind of the honesty that, that this song kind of speaks to about, Hey, you can like bring all that to God, but maybe also of hopefully at the same time, maybe Christians being okay with talking about it with one another and, and with the world. Yeah. So, uh, um, a friend, a friend lost a child, this, uh, married couple friends of mine lost a child. It was very, very painful and tragic story. And they, they had to stop going to their church because in, in the season of their grief, they, they walked in every Sunday to their community of faith. And the songs that the the church was singing every single Sunday were about uh, victory through faith. So in in a lot of the church, I I come from a charismatic tradition. So in in our charismatic tradition, we, we put a high value in our confession of faith and believing God for miracles. And I, I will never stop being that, but, but the problem is we only have one gear. We only talk about God this one way. And, and we do that because we're, we've, we've thrown all of our chips into this theological framework if, of if we just have enough faith, then, then 
these good things will happen or the bad things won't happen to us, right? So my friends were dealing with the the most heartbreaking thing that a parent could go through and they had to stop going because the language that the church was holding out for them was insufficient for their reality. And so um, when I was riding Dead Horse, I was thinking through a few different scenarios that either I've experienced or I've had friends experience. And I, I realized that we I've had some theological shifts. There was a point in my life where I I used to think about God always being somewhere else and then and then I would pray or I would sing and praise and then he would send his presence and he would come over here to where I was. And now I have more of a incarnational view of Christ in that he's not this puppet master in the sky pulling all these levers making some things happen and some things not but he is ever present with me even in my times of loss he's not disconnected from my loss he's actually right in the middle of that with me and so that was a new thought for me and it, it didn't happen overnight, but that's why I wrote Dead Horse because I got to a place where I realized that uh, I was trying to make sense of a whole lot of needless suffering. Um, and then I was also trying to make sense out of a former theology that I realized I didn't have anymore. And, but I was still trying to stay with Jesus you know, <laughs> I know, I know exactly what you're talking about. I feel, I feel that yeah. and I honestly think a lot of people, a lot of people yeah. do as well. Yes. Um, yeah. So dead horse, I think just great, great. So it's great songwriting in general, just as, as mm -hmm. a piece, of, as a piece of art, but it's also one of those things that I think if we're honest with ourselves, we can all find ourselves somewhere in there. Um, totally. And if, but again, I think that, I think you mentioned it earlier in a conversation, the, the, per, the fan that you had who, who was like, I didn't like your music at first. <laughs> um, yeah. and it, and it might even, I think for some people, especially if you grew up in a certain tradition and, and haven't experienced some of those shifts, uh, which is totally fine. Yeah. Uh, sometimes yeah. some of the lyrics might even come across as slightly offensive insofar For as the sure. ways you talk about God, because you talk For about sure. finding, finding God in the liquor aisle and you find about, yep. you have a song on the album called God, the fool, which people, yep. if you're not in that paradigm shift, or if you haven't, yep. if you're not open to processing it that way, I can totally see how it would be a little like off putting, like, Oh, that's irreverent yeah. or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I think that incarnational view of Christ helps it not be because then you begin to realize yeah. Jesus is Jesus is right there. Like he's in the liquor. Mm -hmm. He's, he's right. Mm -hmm. Brother's right there next to me. Um, yes. Yeah. And I think that helps kind of with that paradigm shift a little bit. So mm -hmm. um, my, my other favorite song that I, I like to spend a little bit of time talking about um, is, is love never fails because I think mm -hmm. uh, just based off of people that I've talked to, but even just my own Spotify account listens um this song is just mm -hmm. clocked in a lot <laughs> um for me yeah. personally just this idea of well the title love never fails but it, it's more 
it's not a, a love ballad, right? It's not, um, it's not right. even really a warm, fuzzy take on mm-hmm. the idea of love never fails. Could you speak to that just a little bit? And then I, I do want to tease out some lyrics just to kind of lay yeah. them in front of the listeners. But could you speak to a well, little bit of, of how you approach the song or, or how we as listeners should approach this song maybe? Yeah, first of all, just the title itself is a big setup of, for disappointment with people because there's about a million songs called Love Never Fails. And I've literally gone the exact opposite way of every other song that's called Love Never Fails. And so um, so I, I just want your listeners to know I'm not, I'm not a universalist in the sense that uh, uh, well, that's, that's, that's a whole nother episode for a whole nother podcast. I I'm what the, I'm what you would call a Christocentric inclusionist. And, um, so, so I have this very, very high value for eschatological hope for everyone. I'm not saying that hell's not real and doesn't exist, but I do question things like eternal conscious torments, but I definitely believe in the judgment day. And I definitely believe there's going to be like some type of great comeuppance that will eventually lead to a great reconciliation. Right. Yeah. There's gotta, but, there's gotta be some way that all the sad things come untrue. Right. But then, yeah, that's but then right. What, right. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, but in between now and then, okay. Uh, we, we, so many of us Christians like to live our lives by, you know, these signs that we find in Hobby Lobby, like live, love, laugh, or, you know, God makes all things work together for, you know, for good, which I actually believe I, I, but, but how that happens is what's up for question, right? So one of the theological issues that I've been working through over the past decade of my life is what does God mean when he does not intervene? Um, I, I heard this Nick cave song uh, six or seven years ago and I was watching a movie. It's this raw romantic movie called about time. It's with, it's with Rachel McAdams, the girl from the notebook. I, I can't remember who the male star is, but he's this tall, skinny, redheaded guy. That's probably why I liked it so much. But but there's a there's a scene in the movie where Nick Cave is singing the song and he says, I don't believe in an interventionist God, but baby, I know that you do. And then the song goes on where he's kind of singing this this prayer to the Lord, right? And I when the first time I heard it, I was so struck and I was like, Oh, Nick Cave's an atheist. I can see that. But then I realized he wasn't saying he didn't believe in God. He was saying he didn't believe in an interventionist God. He was believing, he says he didn't believe in a God who intervenes. And I, when I realized that one day, I was thinking, well, what does that mean for me when I prayer, pray a prayer for salvation or deliverance or, or some kind of I have a need and I ask God for help and that that help is very slow to come to me. What does that mean about the nature and character of God, you know? So because I feel like I've prayed so many prayers 
asking God for something that some kind of miracle that didn't happen. And, and so rather than always be disappointed in God, always being like put out with myself, I kind of started thinking through the slowness of God. So I I realized that there's, there's this passage in Hebrews where the writer of Hebrews talks about the promises of God are attained through faith and patience. I had always seen the faith part, but the patient side is something we hardly ever talk about in American Christianity. And I realized, I started to realize I had to reorder the way I was thinking about the way life actually works and the way life works when we become a Christ follower. It's not that it automatically all of a sudden gets like, it's not like going to Disneyland. It's not that all your dreams come true and everything works out. It's that life is still hard, but you have this eternal hope in the man, Christ Jesus. And it, it sounds very basic and dumb when I say it out loud, but for me, I started realizing or I started saying out loud that even when God is not intervening in my life, he is still very much at work. Yeah, let me let me actually read the the bridge of this song um because it, yeah. it's literally what you just said the the bridge says this it says a weapon will prosper a levy will break the heartbreaker gives you more than you can take the trouble in trusting a savior not seen you find out he don't fail when he don't intervene um and i you've i think you posted about it on your instagram recently i think one of the you kind of have been doing the series and I think there's something about a book maybe in the works, which is really exciting. And we'll talk about that at the end. Um, But this idea that sometimes you mentioned like the Hobby Lobby quotes and the things that we love as Christians to quote, you know, that no weapon formed against you will prosper. And you're like, well, sometimes it, sometimes it sure feels like they do. Um, And that's not my personal experience. And that's not, you know, various people's personal experiences. Um, So what do we do when, that seems to be the case. And I, the honesty of this song, I think, is what the, is the beauty of this song. Because if we're honest with ourselves, we've all had weapons prosper. And we've all felt like... Uh, and I also love that you, that you reference this idea of, of potentially God as the heartbreaker, um, mm-hmm. which, again, I think is something that a lot of, of us, you know, who maybe five, six, ten years ago wouldn't have necessarily been comfortable calling God that. Um, but I like yeah. that because we've all, w- several of us have experienced it that way. Um, and it's not, yeah. I had, I had a friend tell me one time every day with Jesus is not sweeter than the day before. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, some of them, some of them are a whole lot harder. Um, and I like that there's just that, uh, that dichotomy of, yeah, God is, God is the one sustaining this love that never fails, right? But also God is potentially the heartbreaker. Um, well, and it's not necessarily that he is, it, it's not that yeah. God is doing these things. Exactly. It's, th- it's that he has allowed a world to function where the main mechanism is chance. Yes. And, and I, once I realized that it gave me so much, I, I had a re- this recent post uh, talking about having mercy on God, which, which sounds so strange and, and heretical in, in one sense, but I have a really good biblical basis for my saying that out loud. But, but 
But honestly, when I began to realize that, first of all, the world isn't about me, like I'm not the center of the universe. God is God. He is the one who is, he's the main character in this cosmic play, right? And it's hard for us to keep that in mind because, you know, we, we can only know what we know and we're experiencing our own lives. Um, but it gave me such elevated levels of pleasure in my relationship with God. Once God was off the hook in my life for being the big Santa Claus in the sky, it was like, it became easier to relate to him as a friend when, when we were going through my life together. It's not that he was distant and far away and not listening to my prayers. It's like, some things are mysterious yeah. and we're not going to have the answers to them on this side of heaven. And that's okay. Yeah. You know? I've, I've talked to a lot of people who have experienced a similar type of freedom in, in their relationship and understanding of God when they don't feel like they're responsible for defending God or explaining yes. God's every action or non-action. Um, Amen. And I don't have a problem with, apologetics and with being able to give a reason for why Christians, you know, why you believe what you believe. But there comes a point where we as finite beings can no mm. longer defend or should we feel the need to defend or explain away or, or predict or defend um, in any way, the actions of, of an, of the, of the infinite, like there it is beyond yeah. us to do so. Um, yeah. And I think it actually damages us sometimes. Because it, well, I think I, it lessens yeah. our imagination. Go, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I, I love that what you said about apologetics, and I'm, and I would never deny that there aren't people who are called to doing that. But, but what, what I've observed is that ideologies insist upon, or they depend upon apologists and apologetics, and and we see, we see a culture war happening, and each each side of the culture war has their apologetic their ideologies that are trying to defend and they got their really smart people who are good at defending those ideologies and i think that's that's a trap um i i mean listen we need scholars we need biblical scholars we need philosophers who are good at doing philosoph philosophical work but um i i tend to think that we need we need more poets we need more writers who are who are giving articulation to the things that we're talking about. And I do agree with some of the friends that you just mentioned that one of the greatest days in a Christian's life is when they stop feeling the compulsion to defend God and the reality that people are living in because so much of that is beyond most of our pay grades. And it's beyond our understanding if we're honest with ourselves. <laughs> yeah. And I often tell absolutely. people, I'm like, if if I can explain every facet and aspect and angle of of this God to you, mm. then how mm -hmm. that's first of all boring. <laughs> and second yeah. of all, not really able to do anything at the end of the day. Um yeah. there has to be mystery. And I think that mm -hmm. we're just so uncomfortable with that especially when we're talking about something that we hope is eternal and yeah. that we hope is actually ultimate um to have any uncertainty there i think makes us really uncomfortable um and, it, yeah. and understandably so like we we like to have things figured out right 
Um, mm-hmm. But that can be really, really difficult, I think, if, if we're mm-hmm. honest with ourselves. Um, the other aspect of, of Love Never Fails that I think is just really poignant is you cover like the gamut of people who are coming to who are coming to the table of the Lord. Like you, you cover Mm -hmm. the the gamut of the types of people, the backgrounds of people, the wounds and the hurts and the struggles. Um, And I just think, I just think that's so incredibly beautiful because it's a very comprehensive list. Like, I mean, it really is like, you're going to find yourself in at least one, if not five to 10 places in, in the types Mm -hmm. of people that you draw out in this song. Um, Can you speak to that a little bit or what kind of, what about yeah. that rang true for you as, as you were, as this song was coming to into being? Yeah, that song is an interesting song. I, it, I've been sitting on it for years, but it, it came into fullness just within the last year, you know, what, right when, when we recorded it. Um, but I, oh man, the in 2020 was such a hard year. It was such a hard year for us culturally, just as a nation, you know, and I, I could just see this rising anxiety. It's, it's, it's almost like the spirit of the age, the zeitgeist was this force that was demanding that everybody choose the right side. Like, you have to have your politics correct. You have to have your religion correct. I mean, the pressure was like, I've never witnessed, I'm 47 years old and I've never witnessed such a um, cultural milieu of, of self-righteous fundamentalism coming from every part of the political and philosophical spectrum. Like, the demand on humanity was at an all-time high. And I realized that a whole lot of really well-meaning people were hanging their their righteousness or their self-righteousness on their version of their ideology. And I'm always, I'm I'm the type of person who is just, assuming about myself and trying to assume about everybody else that I need a whole lot of mercy to get through the day. And I want to be dispensing as much mercy as possible. So whether it's the most ardent Trump lover, or it's the most zealous uh, Antifa protester, or whoever is in between, Nobody is outside of of needing forgiveness and mercy for themselves. You know, we've all committed crimes and we've all had crimes committed against us. And I think I've just been really intrigued at how many people, especially through this last season, have been so quick to abandon the notion that they could be wrong. You know, it's like there's there's a lot of people that are positioning themselves to try to have all the answers and, and to hell with all the people who are not on their side. Right. And so love never fails is my attempt 
to articulate how we have all fallen short of the glory of God. We're all missing the mark. And gosh, like constantly just amazed at how dumb all this sounds when I say it out loud, but like the love of Christ is the thing that we need. <laughs> Amen. I, and I think that, but that statement right there is so deep, right? It's, yes. it's beyond just, oh, love each other. Like, Right, you know, right. like it's so it's so much more than just that. Mm-hmm. The, there's there's so much good baggage, I think. Um, yeah, attached to that yeah. that concept. Um, just person. This is maybe just me being selfish and, and personally. I love the the line in the song that says, "And when the abyss had us tied to the rails, like a runaway train, love never fails." Um, because again. I think if, and we just don't like being honest with ourselves. I think if we just really were to sit down with ourselves or to sit down with people in our communities, we've Mm -hmm. all felt like the abyss has had us tied to the rails. And even if you haven't felt it, the reality of it is that we're all bound up in systems of sin that lead to death, um, whether we realize it or not. Um, And probably even more so than we actually are willing to admit. Um, That's right. And the abyss really does in in some mm-hmm. on some days even just it feels like it has you tied to the rails and you're just taking hit after mm-hmm. hit after hit um but like a runaway train love never fails and you you talking a few minutes ago just about your experience with some of your theology shifting and kind of your mm-hmm. your paradigms being shifted um this idea of of love being a runaway train and not being something mm-hmm. that's controlled not being something that is um yeah that we can get our arms around when it comes from God, uh, I think is just really powerful because again, mm-hmm. it's not something we can explain. It's not something that we can control, which humans hate. <laughs> we hate <Yes>. that. <laughs> it That's goes right. against everything in us. <laughs> <laughs> um, so as, as a way to wrap up, uh, I, we didn't even. I didn't ask you this before we started, and I should have. I saw on your Instagram something about kind of putting some of the stuff that you've been working on on your Instagram into potentially a book and stuff like that. Do you yeah. want to talk about that a little bit so listeners can kind of at least have a little yeah. earworm about it so they can kind of file yeah, it away? Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's a really interesting thing that happened. I I was I was just. This is all by accident, by the way. I, I, it's crazy how this has happened, but, um, and, and it sounds strange to talk in these terms too, because social media is such a strange world, but, uh, I was just, I just started writing some of my thoughts down. Like I've always been a songwriter, but I just started writing some of my inner world in my brain and just, I call them mini essays. I just started writing these little mini essays and I would put a little photograph, you know, with a little phrase on the photograph. And I just, I was really just riffing and I just started putting these on my Instagram and my Instagram blew up. I, it, it I mean, I've never really had a massive following, but I, it was just like hundreds of people were sharing these posts. And, and so I, I just began to experiment with doing kind of a daily writing, daily mini. And we just got dozens and dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of requests for a, for a book. So I, I've got this team of people that work with me on my music stuff. And we just kind of came up with the idea of doing this kind of like, oh, uh, 
Holden Caulfield catcher in the rye meets Jack Kerouac, like guerrilla warfare style devotional magazine, but not a magazine, but more like a coffee table. I keep calling it a coffee table spectacle. It's like, you'll be proud to, (laughs) yeah, yeah. You'll be proud to put it on your side table or your coffee table. But you know, when you pick it up, it's like, got this beautiful imagery and then my little mini es- essays tied to those things. And so I'm super excited about it because um, I've really, really enjoyed stepping into the writing world. It's like, it's like exercising a different side of my brain than, than my music side. And so I think we're going to have that out by late summer, early autumn. Awesome. So, awesome. Yeah. And, yeah. and listeners like normal, I will, I'll tag Andy, your, your Instagram and stuff in the show notes. So you guys can go follow Andy. I've, I've read all of them and I think they're great. I'm definitely on the list to, to buy this, this <laughs> coffee <you>. table spectacle. Because <laughs> um, I think, I think it's great. And it's, it's just jarring enough to make you actually sit and think and wrestle with some of the yeah. things that kind of what you and I have talked about. But, um, mm-hmm. so I'll tag that in the show notes and you guys go check awesome. out Poet Priest. It's on, uh, uh, all the places that you can listen to music. Andy, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, it was oh, so, it's been a wonderful pleasure. Yeah, it was so good to talk to you and get to know you a little better. Um, listeners, thank you so much for joining us on this journey, and we will be back next week. Thanks for joining me this week. It's a huge help when you like, rate, and subscribe to Between the Creations wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow the podcast on Instagram or Facebook for news about upcoming episodes. You can find out more about the podcast, submit topics you'd like me to cover on an episode, or even ask me to speak at your event at laurienhook.com.